Hello and welcome to Rock and Roll Politics, the weekly podcast, or almost weekly. I've been a bit busy, so I think the last one was over a week ago. And welcome back to The Craziness, The Cliff's Edge, part 2023. What we are witnessing on a daily basis is quite extraordinary and without precedent, really. Anyway, I'll be reflecting on what has been happening and what I think is going to happen as far as it is remotely sensible to venture into the foggy unknown. Before I do, just a reminder, uh, the Rock and Roll Politics live show is on in London at King's Place on Monday, December the 17th. It's currently sold out, but there are often returns, so do check up if you want to come along. It's going to be the festive Brexit special, and I think this is going to be a kind of unfestive Brexit special. It's become a cliche when reflecting on politics that we are too easily normalise that what should be remarkable becomes ordinary very quickly. It's usually said in relation to Trump and the United States. But what's happening in Britain at the moment is incredible. Has been for a long time, by the way, since uh, the 2008 crash. Politics has moved so fast in Britain, we lose track of how crazy it's been for a long time. The 2010 general election producing a hung parliament. We don't usually have hung parliaments in the UK. The one before was in February 1974, and then that coalition. That was weird. Cameron winning an overall majority in 2015 against his and most people's expectations, and then out within a year, unprecedented, fall from fleeting triumph, his dependence on referendums, which in some cases went terribly wrong, in one case in particular, was also very odd. Curious things, the rise of Jeremy Corbyn remains remarkable on so many levels. But what's happening to Theresa May now and what Theresa May is doing is in another league. The statement that she delivered in the House of Commons the day after the special EU summit to sign off her deal will be looked at by historians in hundreds of years to come. What a sequence. The summit in Brussels where this deal is signed off, and there she was, less than 24 hours later in the House of Commons, making a statement, and then for an hour at least, there was not a single MP endorsing the deal. Instead, one after another was highly critical, in a way that gives them little wriggle room between now and the vote on December the 11th to change their minds and to declare with a flourish that they now back the deal that they had condemned with such lack of any qualification. And this is where, um, I mean, it was a brutal time for her. Um, It was tough the other time she's had to defend this deal in the House of Commons. But I think there was a peculiar, distinctive brutality returning from a summit where you sign this thing for it to be so condemned as the vote comes into view. She continued with the usual sort of dogged manner, but I kind of think she looked more deflated at the end of that session than some of the other equally... um, traumatic sessions in that House of Commons. 
but I think it means she will lose the vote on December the 11th. It's quite interesting. There are still quite a few commentators and parts of the BBC saying, well, it's far too early to make that prediction. She could well, prime ministerial patronage and all the rest of it, maybe she could turn it round and win the vote. I heard a brilliant columnist from the FT making that prediction on Newsnight the other night and others. But it's interesting, the same people who predicted that the referendum would be uh, for Remain, that um, May would win easily her 2017 general election, that Corbyn would be an electoral catastrophe, are some of the ones who are predicting that she will win this vote because I think their framing, although they are or can be in some cases brilliant on other matters, their framing of British politics is outdated. I may well prove to be wrong when she wins this thing, in which case, you know, once again, I proved that you shouldn't make any predictions. But I think in the same way that Labour had changed to produce Corbyn's two landslide wins in two leadership contests, the Conservative Party has changed fundamentally. It began to change, and um, we saw it in front of our eyes in the early to mid-1990s as John Major tried to push through Maastricht, but has changed more profoundly since then. I remember writing a piece arguing that in some respects the Conservative Party has become Benite, followers of Tony Benn. I've heard many of them say, we agree with Tony Benn on Europe. They've become gripped by issues of accountability parliamentary accountability, accountability to their constituents and local parties rather than the national leadership. And I remember after writing that piece, it was um, I think about 2014 when I wrote it, the coalition was in power, speaking to some of the most senior figures in that Conservative government. And they just said to me, yeah, you're right, our party is becoming Benite. They were worried by this because it meant that there was less loyalty to the leadership and to the then government and raised almost impossible issues if you wanted to stay in the European Union. And that parliamentary party or the bit of it that has come out so ferociously against the deal will not, I suspect, in most cases be bought off. And given that Labour is largely against, including the Labour Brexiteers and the Lib Dems and the SNP and the DUP, who I think are probably the flakier element of this, I wonder whether they in the end might come round. But so far, nothing they have said gives them the wriggle room to do so. So it looks as if a deal which Theresa May has said she endorses with her head and her heart as the best deal for the country is going to be lost in a Commons vote. That too will be an astonishing moment. And I don't know if this happens when Theresa May goes as Prime Minister, but I do know for sure that she will never have authority again in her own mind and within that governing party. Uh, you do not, as a Prime Minister,
put yourself to the House of Commons with your head and heart advocating a deal, lose and stand up and say, thank you very much for your verdict. I'll now carry on as if nothing has happened. She got away with it sort of after the general election when she lost that tiny overall majority. But she did it because numerically she was able to bind together some kind of majority with the DUP and that her colleagues of, on the whole, mediocrities weren't ready to make a challenge uh, and didn't really know how to or what they would say. And so on she went, partly because of Brexit and her willingness at the time to say things that kept all sides of her party on board. Those options are not available to her if she's defeated in the Commons. As I say, I don't know whether she goes the next day. Depends, I suspect, on the scale of the defeat, if this defeat happens. But she will have no further authority as a Prime Minister. I, mean, I know George Osborne said after the election she's a dead woman walking. She wasn't. She continued for all kinds of reasons. She would be if she loses this vote. What happens then is not wholly clear, but I suspect will become clear pretty quickly. I think it's unlikely unless she loses by a small majority that there is an attempt to have a second vote on virtually the same deal partly for the reasons I've already given. Her parliamentary party, that so-called Benite wing, will not be malleable, and she would not be in a position to conduct a major renegotiation or even a small renegotiation with the rest of Europe over Christmas. 27 leaders, most of them on holiday, are not going to be thrilled by that idea. And so the option would be to come back with virtually the same proposition, at the beginning of January, with a Prime Minister without authority putting it forward again to the same House of Commons. Politics is often irrational and illogical, but that doesn't strike me as a likely sequence. The chance of a people's vote obviously grows in this situation because the Commons wants to avoid no deal. But, as with all these scenarios, it's not wholly clear what the agency would be to bring it about. The House of Commons could vote for a people's vote, although the MPs are not there yet in terms of a majority. But what agency then delivers the required legislation? It would have to be the government. And for the government to come forward with that legislation would involve several shifts not in place at the moment. As someone who thinks Remain is so obviously the best outcome of this mad sequence, I can see the pull of the people's vote and the campaign has been brilliantly projected and has been transformative actually. In the summer, few were giving any chance to a people's vote. But because of the campaign and the way it's been conducted, it's absolutely part of this debate. But as I argued in the last podcast, 
I think there are problems with the referendum. The more I think about it, I mean, I was on the People's March. I spoke at the um, People's Vote rally in Edinburgh during the Edinburgh Festival. And it was a great occasion, as was that packed London event. But the problem with it has become clearer to me, actually, since I did the last podcast. And it became even clearer when I watched Tony Blair being interviewed by Andrew Marr the other day. Tony Blair, as ever, was brilliantly forensic in marshalling arguments against May's deal. He still has the capacity to frame an argument more accessibly and clearly than any other UK politician around at the moment. He was brilliantly forensic in putting the case for staying in the European Union. And then he was all over the place about the referendum that he seeks. He said that there were two possible options as far as he was concerned. One was a question on the ballot paper between Remain or Boris Johnson's version of Brexit. And then he said another option was Remain, Boris Johnson's version of Brexit and Theresa May's deal. And that he preferred the first because it was clearer. Remain versus Boris Johnson's version of Brexit. The problem with that proposition is that Boris Johnson's version of Brexit is far from clear. It's um, indeed vague to the point of absurdity. And it is also far from clear that his proposition, which is essentially a kind of free trade deal, plus, 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 Canada, plus, 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 as David Davis vaguely puts it, it's far from clear that the European Union would accept it. And so a referendum would take place rather like 2016 between Remain and a fantasy, a Brexit which is ill-defined and probably couldn't be delivered. And as everybody accepts that 2016 cannot be the model, it seems to me that one can't work. Now, Andrew Adonis, who has fought a brilliant and sleepless campaign on Brexit, based on his heroes like Gladstone and Roy Jenkins, he argues that the choice should be between the only two substantial propositions on the table remain or Theresa May's deal. But the problem with that is many Conservative MPs will vote against May's deal whilst opposing remain. So they and the voters they represent become excluded from what would already be a contentious referendum. And therefore the referendum becomes delegitimized even before the campaign has started and imagine what that campaign will be like. So Although it is a possible route through this nightmare, it's a very thorny path. There is talk now of um, Norway Plus, uh, with people like Nick Bowles uh, discussing with Stephen Kinnock and some cabinet ministers the possibility of uh, Brexit, where in effect Britain remains part of the single market and also part of the or a customs union and the reason why this i think has got some legs is that it's not that far from labor's theoretical official position which is support for 
a continuing permanent customs union and some kind of access as close to now to the single market amongst other things. And what Nick Bowles has done, this Tory MP quite close to Michael Gove, Amber Rudd is apparently interested, has done something that Theresa May never did. He's made an assessment of what might get through the House of Commons. What is a Brexit that could get through this House of Commons? And if Labour and some Tory MPs were to back this with EU backing as well, lots of ifs in all these scenarios, that might be a runner. No deal is the nightmare to which the UK could lapse if none of these things take off. But I still think in a situation where you have a current Prime Minister, a current Chancellor of the Exchequer, a current Governor of the Bank of England, the current leader of the opposition, the leader of the SNP, and many others regarding no deal as a calamity, somehow or other it will be stopped. But of course, in that context, there has to be from the government an alternative. Maybe that Norway plus plus will become it. Of course, much the most sensible thing would be to um, just end this nightmare. It's very interesting, all these voters on Vox Pop say, why don't they just get on with it? Just get on with it. Which is easier said than done. Theresa May's deal, she always echoes this now. It says, people just want us to get on with it. And why don't we get on with it and pass my deal? Of course, her deal is a mere hors d'oeuvre before the meeting negotiations begin over future trading arrangements, which originally she said she would have in place by now. They haven't even started. So Brexit doesn't end with her deal. There'll be no getting on with it. Get on with it. Come on. It won't be with her deal. The referendum might ultimately sort this out, but God, there's going to be one hell of a row over the question and the very existence of it so that doesn't get on with it the nick bowls norway plus 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 perhaps with labor support does in a way but not yet and of course there will be many issues about becoming rule takers and not rule makers and paying money for a position where you are roughly the same as you were before but without any of the power which points to the logical conclusion which is that parliament should just revoke article 50 and that really does get on with it everything is sorted ireland sorted no transitional period no backstop no backstop to a backstop no endless trade negotiations with the rest of the eu for the rest of our lifetime no cliff edges end gets on with it it meets that voter demand of course there would be a constitutional crisis as representative democracy asserts its power over direct democracy but in a way that's a cleaner debate to have than a referendum and it's certainly better than no deal even if that delivers on the 2016 brexit because the economy would crash. We're not ready for it. Even if we were ready for it, it would still crash. But what is so interesting about this multi-layered saga is that logic and reason 
cannot play a big part. Politics is not about, in most of the time, logic and reason. I said earlier, after the election in 2017, Theresa May should have sat down and said, right, instead of that majority I wanted, I'm in a hung parliament. What Brexit could this hung parliament vote for? But if she had asked that question and sought to answer it, it would have been a Brexit that would have torn her cabinet apart that summer when she was very vulnerable and triggered, no doubt, that vote of confidence that that group of hardliners have so far struggled to get the number in place. They would have got that number in place if in the summer after that disastrous election she had started to move towards, say, a Norway-type Brexit in discussions with Labour MPs. She just was not in a strong enough position to act in that way. She might have been when she won the leadership contest, but as I've said before, when she was politically strong, she acted weakly. And now, when she is desperately fragile, she has no choice but to try and be strong and assertive. So that is irrational. What she did was irrational and illogical to negotiate sleeplessly a deal without any sense that the Commons would back it. But she began on that search for a deal, trying to please everybody, trying to convince the hardliners that they could have what they wanted, whilst reassuring business leaders that she would do everything possible to protect their supply chains across the single market, whilst assuring the Irish government that the soft border would be in place and believing, as she did, the soft border should be in place. She attempted the impossible because she was not powerful enough to assert hard choices after she had almost lost that general election. And so it is with that House of Commons in the context of the 2016 re referendum. When you even have hardline Brexiteers saying to stay in would be better than May's deal, you can see how when people sit down quietly and reflect, most of them in that House of Commons, by no means all, but I suspect a majority, would conclude, if you strip that referendum out of the picture, that staying in would be by far the best option and ending this nightmare and returning to a focus on the issues that should matter, health, the rubbish transport system, etc. Uh, but instead, logic plays no part. It looks as if the House of Commons is not brave enough to challenge that 2016 outcome and just revoke Article 50. It's very interesting. Some people I speak to wonder whether it would trigger the riots that people predict if they were to do that, but they clearly are worried enough that it's unlikely to happen. So maybe we move towards that Norway plus plus plus. Um, some of the smartest people said to me at the very beginning, we will move to a position where the economic hit is not that bad, but it would be in a context of so-called vassalage. Rule takers no longer rule makers. And maybe we're moving towards that, not May's deal, which raises so many questions about the future but a kind of Norway arrangement. Who knows? It is extraordinary theatre. 
quite a few red herrings, as there always is in British politics. The televised debate between Corbyn and May seems a classic red herring if it goes ahead. This is not the essence of the clash, although Corbyn is a big player because he's the leader of the opposition in a hung parliament. A leader of the opposition in a hung parliament is a really powerful figure that influences the outcome of key votes, not least this one. But the essence of that debate is not where things are at the moment. And, you know, it's, I don't know why... To, I can see Theresa May is so desperate to try and win over a kind of public opinion to put pressure on her MPs. She's flouncing around trying at everything. But that's a red herring. I suspect her nationwide tour is a bit of a red herring because this isn't a general election or a referendum. She's been against a referendum. She's not going to dare go for a general election. I don't think a general election is going to happen in any of these scenarios. So that's a bit of a red herring. The battle is in Parliament. But I think she has already lost that battle. And perhaps, certainly since the general election, was never in a position where she could win it. So there we are. That's episode two of The Cliff's Edge and the latest in the Rock and Roll Politics series. As I said at the beginning, a live show in December. I'll tell you also, it's quite interesting. I'm writing this book on modern prime ministers, the lessons of uh, leadership, although based on some talks I did for the BBC on modern prime ministers. And I'm learning a lot writing this book. I'm on the chapter at the moment. It's coming out next uh, September. I'm on the David Cameron chapter. And it is really interesting writing about him and in the context of his legacy, really, which is this Brexit catastrophe. And the early phase is fascinating, you know, reading... Um, I've gone back looking at what commentators were saying about early Cameron and the sort of almost uncritical acceptance of his own definition of himself as this um, progressive moderniser is fascinating. And it is a reminder, again, and I completely put myself in this, uh, that be very careful about what media orthodoxy says at any given time because as I say it's sort of when you know what has happened to read the verdict of commentators as it was happening is quite revealing nearly always wrong and so here am I saying I'm joining actually what is largely an orthodoxy she's going to lose this vote she'll probably win it and on we go but I don't think so anyway we'll know soon enough but I'll be back here with a podcast before then because things are moving fast. I don't think they're going to move that much between now and the vote on December the 11th, actually. But you never know. That'll probably prove to be wrong as well. Thanks so much for listening. I hope you can switch off and have a good time. But this drama is pretty damn compelling, depressing, nerve-wracking, and still without a clear ending. See you next time.